Today, I think on Monday, we spent 14 hours in here installing equipment, and then uh, yesterday, we spent most of the day. But the good news is, is that we've got our HD cameras installed and our new uh, audio equipment to work with it. And the best news about it all is that it's paid for. We paid cash for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Just, I, I know some of you are thinking, where's those big old cameras that we, you know, that we spent all this money on? Well, one of them's right over there, little bitty old boy up there in the corner. And the other one's at the back. You probably can't even see it. So uh, we're practicing on you tonight. As uh, Those of you who were, were here early, you already heard one boo-boo that we had with, with the audio. But we'll get all that worked out. And uh, so anyway, I, I appreciate this last Sunday, just testing our feed on Facebook, it landed on over 1,200 Facebook pages. So you can see the potential that is there. So we'll be talking a little bit more about how you can help us uh, spread the, the news and spread the word. And, and uh, if for some reason you can't be here in church, there are several different ways that you can access it online and be here live with us. And if you can't make it live, you'll be able to see it later uh, because those will be archived and you'll be able to just go back. And you may... You may get so much in church, you feel like that you need to hear it one more time. You'll be able to go home and do that. So I, I'm just, I'm thankful to the Lord that he is giving us uh, these opportunities to be able to spread his good news. His news is good. Amen. I was reading this morning in Psalm and the psalmist was talking about a time that he, he said, I remembered I remembered when I was leading the multitudes to the house of the Lord and they were shouting and they were glorifying God and they were keeping festival. And, and I won't say any more about it because I could preach on that. But really, but really what he was saying is I remember this time when we were all going to the house of the Lord and we were, it, the, the atmosphere was festive. We were in happy moods. We were shouting. We were singing aloud. We, we were going into the presence of God. And, and I thought to myself, that almost reminds me of this past Sunday at, at church. I'm telling you, the, the, the atmosphere was so thick with the presence of the Lord and supercharged with his presence, it just it didn't, it made me not want to go home is what it made me want to do. So anyway, I'm thankful for you. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to try to finish up this chapter tonight. I've got two Bibles with me tonight. I have this great big old thick King James Version. Um... It's the one I study out of a lot, of, a lot. It's got a lot of helps. And then I've got this little, little Bible over here. It's the HCSB version. I normally use the ESB version, but I can't use my ESB anymore because my dog ate it. And so my wife called me at work the other day. She said, you're not going to believe this, but that Boomer ate your Bible. So I got home, sure enough, Boomer was full of the Word. He was full of the Word. I've been trying to teach him to heal, but every time I say heal, he jumps up on his back legs and lays his front paw on people that come back. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. 
<laughs> that's coming. That's right. That'll be the next thing that he does. All right. I think, if I'm not mistaken, last week we got through verse 9. Uh, but I want to I begin with uh, verse 1 in chapter 1 so it will call to your remembrance what we talked about last week. Chapter 1, 1 Peter, uh, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his grace, mercy, great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and unto an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Do you remember how that we talked last week about how that two things are happening simultaneously? The first thing is that he is, he is laying up treasures that we're going to be able to access in heaven. And at the same time, we're having heavenly treasures laid up. He is keeping us on this earth so that nothing will be able to prevent us from laying our hands upon those treasures that are being laid up for us right now. So there's a twofold blessing that's going on there. He said, you are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love him, though you have not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls." So that's what we talked about last week. And last week, the same thing happened as we were reading the scripture. People just started praising the Lord. Glory, hallelujah, wow, that's outstanding, wonderful. It's amazing how the word of God by itself can move you and move your spirit and, and, and pump you up. So now let's go on now, verse 10. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the messianic sufferings and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. 
angels desire to look into these things. Now, let's, let's go back and let's, let's try to see if we can understand what be, what's being said here. He's talking about this salvation that each of us have when we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior. And, and, and it, is a, it is a moment that takes place when we are saved, when we experience new birth. But there's also the reality that we are being saved continually as long as we're in this body. Now, by that, I don't mean to, to, to mean that you can be more saved than you ever are at the moment of salvation. When you're saved, you're saved. The Lord forgives you. He removes your sin from you. Uh, your name is recorded in the, in the book of life. And, and your sins won't be remembered against you any longer. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are walking in the spirit of God. So, so when we're saved, we're saved. But at the same time, we have not yet experienced the fullness of the salvation that the scripture says we will receive. So it's only going to get better it's only going to get more intense. The blessing is only going to increase. It's not going to decrease. It's not being laid up in a place where it can be corrupted or, or imperishable or anything like that. It, it's going to get better. It's, it's literally going to increase. So as we walk with Christ, then we understand that this salvation is, is being funneled into our lives uh, on an ongoing basis until one day when we get to heaven and we're going to realize the fullness of, of our salvation. So he talks about these prophets and he talks about how the, the prophets have been speaking about this thing uh, for a long time. He says concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, do you see that? The grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. Now, here's what that means. Number one, they knew that, that salvation was not going to come through er, any earthly individual, that it would come through a Messiah. It would come through a supernatural uh, Messiah sent to us from God. They understood that. They understood it wouldn't come through Abraham. They, they understood it wouldn't come through Moses. It couldn't come through Jacob. It couldn't come through anybody. And there was this Messiah who was going to come. And they prophesied about that Messiah who would come. But they also realized that it was not going to come in their day. It was something that's going to happen in the future when the Messiah has come. And the scripture says... That they looked into it. They, they searched about this. They wanted to understand when this was going to take place. This was not something where they just sat around and said, well, it really doesn't matter. Uh, it'll happen when it happens. No big deal. No, they were, they were intense about it. That, in fact, the scripture says that the spirit of God within them was moving them to study and to try to discover when this, this Messiah would come. That's what verse 11 says. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the Messianic sufferings. In other words, 
They were asking God, based on the Spirit's leading inside of them, when's this going to happen? What season will it happen in? We need to know. But they, they, they remained in the dark because there was never a time given them. So they simply walked by faith. They preached by faith. They prophesied by faith, knowing that even if they never saw it, and we'll see here in just a moment, that they finally came to the realization that they would never see it in their time. But even if they never saw it, they were never going to doubt the reality of it. They were still going to stand in it and preach it and declare it to be so. As I was reading this and thinking about this, I, I, I was thinking about how that wouldn't it be interesting if some of the things that we are so dogmatic about in the church today, I mean, we've set our stake in the ground on certain theological ideas I mean, there are those who believe once saved, always saved. There are those who don't. There are those who believe uh, that you, you, there is such a thing as the gifts of the Spirit happening in us right now. There are those who don't. They say, no, the, that speaking in tongues is of the devil. There are others that say, no, it's not of the devil. It's for us today. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke of when he said, in the last days, the Spirit of God will come upon you. And so there are all these theological, dogmatic debates over theology. And I wonder what it would be like if we realized somewhere down the road how wrong we might have been about some of the things that we were so dogmatic about. I, you know, I, I grew up in this tradition. I've been Church of God all my life. I've come this far by faith. I'm going to probably complete this journey in the church of God unless God spoke to me and said something else. But right now, he hasn't been speaking that way at all. I'm right here. So, and, and, and I intend to stay church of God. So just in case you're wondering any of that. But I was raised in the old school traditions of the church. And you know that. And there were some things that I thought was right and I thought was scriptural, but it was not right. It was not scriptural. It was only traditional. And there comes a point in our walk with the Lord at times when our traditions have to be set aside so that we can follow the voice of the Lord. And so wouldn't it be interesting? Here's these prophets. They're, they are absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt. They are convinced that this Messiah is coming, that he's going to suffer for the sins of the people of this, of humanity. And they were convinced of it, but they just didn't know when it was going to happen. They didn't know. And, and they even asked the spirit within them, when is this going to happen? But there was no answer. So I guess what we can learn from this is, is that even though we don't have the specifics of what God is about to do or going to do, it doesn't mean that we should stop believing. We should continue to believe. Because if the book says it, if the word of God says it, and if the spirit of God within us confirms it, then it doesn't matter what the world thinks or says. doesn't matter what your husband or wife thinks. It doesn't matter what your family says or at your workplace. The only thing that matters is, is what does the word of God say? And what is the Spirit of God confirming within me? And that's what's happening with these prophets. And then we see uh, as we move on in verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them 
that they were not serving themselves, but you. Now, do you see that? The prophetic word that is going forth was not going to benefit them. It was not going to work a benefit in their earthly life. So they were prophesying, they were speaking a word from the Lord that was on behalf of other people. It was on behalf of generations that had not been born yet. And they understood that. And they weren't concerned about that because they knew God would take care of them. But they realized it. They understood. This thing is not for me. It is for generations yet to come. Which says to me that we should labor as faithfully for the next generations to be blessed as we do for us. I'm, I'm doing a study right now, and I'm going to be preaching a series of messages in the very near future about the blessings of Melchizedek. And it, man, it is rich, rich, rich. But I've been chewing on this passage of Scripture in Malachi that says, that if we bring our tithe, it doesn't, say, it doesn't say we give our tithe. It says we bring his tithe to him. It's already his. We bring it to him. And when we bring his tithe, he says, just see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. Now, I don't want to preach the whole thing, but I, I alluded to it some Sunday. What he's saying there is that I'm going to bless you and keep blessing you and keep blessing you and keep blessing you. And when you draw your last breath, your blessings are going to be passed on to your sons and your daughters and your grandsons and your granddaughters. And then it's going to be passed on to theirs and theirs and theirs and theirs. And they're going to be blessed because of my faithfulness just like I was blessed because of my mom and dad's faithfulness and their mom and dad's faithfulness. And that's what, it, you know, I'm going to pour out on something on you that you can't contain. Well, why would you do that? I mean, why, why would you give somebody something more than enough that you can't use? Why would you do that? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that I'm going to bless you with so much that when you die, you'll have stuff left over and it'll go to waste. No, it's going to remain in the train of blessing. But you need to come and hear that preached when I get ready to preach it. So this is what's happening here. These prophets are prophesying according to the Spirit of God, but they know that it's not about their blessing, although they are being blessed, but it's not about their blessing. It's about a word, a prophetic word that is being spoken that is going to touch generation after generation after generation. And here we are in 2017, and we don't even know who these prophets were, some of them, and yet we are being blessed by the prophetic utterances of these prophets that John is talking, that Peter is talking about. Isn't that interesting? He says, so now let's go on. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. So what Peter is saying is that the prophets spoke something that they weren't going to ever see, but they spoke it prophetically. But he said to the people who are leading, reading his letter now, he said, he said, the blessing's already on you. It's already here on you. 
because someone has already come and preached to you about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what happened at Calvary to provide salvation for the people of God, it's already been preached to you. So what he's really saying here is, is that you are now accountable for the word of God that is in you. Now that, that is a deep and heavy thought right there. Because if someone has invested a word of God into you, once that word leaves that prophet and settles in on you, it's your responsibility to either accept it and receive it or deny it and push it aside. As I, Sister Dorothy, after we prayed, she came up here. And you, you know, you, all of you, some of you think she's beating me up, but she, she gets right up here and my points in my chest and, and tell, looks like she's fussing at me. She's not fussing at me. She was sharing a word that the Lord had spoken to her uh, to me. And so I'm blessed. I'm blessed because of that. But now that she has released that prophetic word to me, then it becomes my property and my responsibility. And if the word of God is in me, even in my mouth, then it becomes my responsibility to utilize that and to make it work for, for my good, but greater still for the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God can expand. And so, so what, what a wonderful thing that is being said here. He said, these things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now look at this. Angels desire to look into these things. What? What, what does that mean? Angels would like to know what this is all about. Well, there are a couple of theories here. And, and one of them, I think, is just absolute baloney. That's just my opinion. But it's a theory, so I'll share it with you anyway. And that is that because angels have a free will and have the ability to accept or deny the things of God, we know that's true. Because we know that Lucifer at one time was a high-ranking high angel and that he rebelled against God and took many angels with him. So there is some possibility, at least, that there are angels who still have the ability to reject the message. So the first theory is, is that God is pleading his case before these angels. So what he's trying to say is, is that what Peter's trying to say, if that theory is correct, the prophets said it, and then the prophets declared it to be true, and then the preachers came and began to preach the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. And so what Peter is saying is that God now is going to the angels, and he's saying, see, I told you. I told you this a long time ago, that this is the way it is. I told you that from the very beginning of time that I was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. And so you, you know, some of you aren't believing me. And so what I'm sharing with you is absolute truth. And I'm trying to prove my case to these angels. I don't believe that. I don't, I don't, I, number one, God knows everything. And he certainly knows what those angels are thinking. 
And if you think for a minute that God is going to allow some bad attitude, leaking attitude angel to hang out with him in heaven, I've got another thought about that. He already knows who they are and how they're thinking, and he's not going to allow them to stay and hope that one day they will receive his message because angels can't be saved anyway. And that's the other theory that I tend to agree with, and that is that the angels, the only thing that they can do is simply say, wow. All they can do is say, how in the world? I have no way of even understanding what this salvation thing is because angels cannot be saved. We're the ones that are saved. The angels can't sing the songs of salvation that we sing or the songs of redemption that we sing. They can sing them, but they have no meaning to them. And so what Peter is saying is that this message is so awesome and so glorious and so powerful. And he'd already said it, it, we're so filled with joy that it's literally unspeakable. He's already said that. He's saying this message carries such weight to it that even the angels of heaven are scratching their heads and saying, well, I wish I could understand that. But they just have no way to understand it because they will never experience the blood of the lamb that was shed for them because it wasn't shed for them. It was shed for you and me. Amen. So that, that's just... That's a really cool statement that Peter just threw in there. He said, even the angels would like to be able to understand this, but they simply can't. So verse 13 now. And in my Bible, there's a little break here. Uh, it, it, in, it, theologians call these things pericopes. Now, you don't have to remember that, but it just means that we're taking a break here from that thought, and we're going to go another direction and in my Bible, there's a break here, and it says, now we're going to receive a call to holy living. And I know some of you are thinking right now, oh, I hate holiness. I just, and you know why that is? It's because we don't have an eternal, godly understanding of what holiness really is. We only have an understanding of the traditional holiness of the church that has fallen short on many, many levels. And so when we think about holy, we don't really always like to talk about it. But let's look at verse 13. It says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me go to the King James Version. It says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that this terminology in Scripture that talks about gird up your loins, it's a reference to in scriptural days, they, they would wear these long flowing robes, and if they had to run... Or if a shepherd had to go after a sheep that was straying or maybe under attack, they would take off one of their belts and they would gird up their skirt, if you will, or their long flowing gown. I wouldn't like for anybody to say I was wearing a skirt. 
a kilt maybe, but not a, not a skirt. But, but they'd gird that thing up and they'd, they'd pull it up and then, they, and then they, they could run because their legs would be free. So the, the, the inference here is that we are called to action, that this is something that requires us to get into a place where we can move freely and not be held back by any obstacle or anything at all in the way. So he's saying, gird up your loins. I really like the way that the HCS or the other HCSB says it says, therefore, with your minds ready for action. And see, that's a little more of a modern take on it because it is, it's about our mind. None of us have to gird up our loins. Um, I always did see my dad do this, though. I never did understand why, but he'd be standing up, and when he was getting ready to sit down, he'd always do this with his pants. Did you ever see anybody do that? They'd do that every time. I never did understand that. Why do you got to pull your pants up to sit down? I, I don't know. But anyway, he always did it. Always. He would always pull up those pants, and then he would sit down. Not me, buddy. I'd just fall flat out on the couch. And just boom, there I am. But we don't, we don't have to gird up our loins. Uh, probably a better illustration for our, our time and our generation would be if we're going to go walk, you know, to exercise or we're going to go to the gym or something like that. We wouldn't wear our Sunday clothes to the gym. We, we wouldn't wear our Sunday clothes over to Highview Park in order to walk. We'd probably put on, a, you know, either some tights or some shorts and a, a shirt and that kind of thing. We'd lace up our tennis shoes and, and then we'd go walk. But we wouldn't do it in our, in our dress shoes. None of you ladies would want to go walk three miles around the park in your high heels. You wouldn't do it. So you would prepare yourself. So what Peter here is saying is, is that your mind has to be ready for action. If, if you're going to be holy, it starts with your mindset. It starts with your willingness to be holy. Now, the holiness that they're talking about here is a separation from anything that is contrary to the will of God. Anything that is contrary to the will of God is unholy for the holy people of God. And so we have to define it that way. He said, with your minds ready, then he says, be serious. In the King James, it says, be sober. That doesn't mean don't be drunk. It, it, it say, it's saying, be intense about this. I mean, take it seriously. And Donna used to, she tells me occasionally these stories about her grandmother, who was such a cutie. Uh, she really, I didn't get to know her very long because we got married and shortly after that, her grandmother passed away. But, but she would, she, if Donna said something silly, you know, if she said a little joke or something like that, made a little joke, her, her grandmother, she'd say, no, she said, you, you need to be careful now, child. Say you're going to give account for every word that you speak, you know, and, and talking about that, you know, how that we need to be, uh, you know, not frivolous with our conversation and those kinds of things. But listen, God doesn't care if we laugh and have a good time and enjoy life. He wants wants us to be festive in our life and to speak happy words of joy and to, and to speak. But he's saying, he's saying, really what he's saying here is keep your mind collected. 
Don't, don't let it get away from you. How easy it is for us to get away from the things that, that, that provide victory in our lives. Because we get our minds on the circumstances. The circumstances that we're facing are always right here in our face. And if we're not careful, we will focus on what is closest rather than focusing on what we know is truth. Because it doesn't matter what circumstances they are. God has spoken about either specifically or in principle to everything that we'll ever have to face in our life. And so if we know that and understand that and then focus our, our thinking energy on those things, then we'll be ready to go. We'll be good to go. So he says, get your mind ready for action. Be serious. Gather your thoughts. And then he says, set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about us keeping our eyes set on the goal. What is the goal? Well, he's already told us what the goal was earlier, that we would receive the goal, which is our salvation at the revelation of Christ. So now again, I don't want you to be confused. It doesn't mean that you don't get saved until you go to heaven or until you die. Doesn't mean that at all. It just means there's an altogether different level of deliverance and salvation when we leave this life. I don't care how saved you are right now. Uh, but when you gave your life to Christ, you're as saved as you're ever going to be. Uh, somebody once said, well, I know some people that are more saved than other people. That's not true. If you're saved, you're safe. If you're in the boat, you're in the boat. Doesn't matter which side you're on or which end you're in. If you're in the boat, you're in the boat. You're saved. But, but what it's talking about is that as long as we walk on the face of this earth, we are in a fallen world. And we will always have to deal with the devil and his antics. And we always have victory over him if we'll stand in our faith. But we still have to put up with his nonsense. We still occasionally have to deal with financial pressure and sometimes physical pressure. And sometimes we deal with depressing thoughts and, and oppressive uh, mindsets and, and things of that nature. Sometimes we have to deal with people who aren't very nice to us. But the good news is, is that God has given us, us everything that we need to be successful. Everything we face, we can overcome. But there's coming a day when this life is over. Some of us will end this life by way of the grave. And to be absent from the body will to be present with the Lord. <clears throat> but some of us may live until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. As scripture says that when the Lord comes back, that he's going to come out on the eastern side of the clouds and, and the trump of God is going to sound uh, and then the, the call is going to be given and graveyards everywhere. The sea is going to give up the dead. The, the cemeteries are going to give up the dead. And the dead in Christ shall rise First, but then once they get up out of the grave, then the scripture says, those which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, square, the sky where Jesus is forever we will be. 
So we're, go, we're going to go. We're either going to go by way of the grave or by way of the rapture. But either way, when either one of those things happens, then we're going to experience the salvation that he's talking about because it will come at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus will reveal himself when I'm standing in his presence. To be absent from this body will be present with the Lord. And when I see him, and I'll, I'll, I'll know who he is. He, he will reveal himself. And if I don't go by way of the grave and I go through the rapture, I'll know who he is. I'll know who he is. And so, so this is the kind of thing that he's talking about. He says, set your hope completely on the grace. Look at that word completely. Completely. Now, let's go back. Let's go back. Which verse is that? Let's compare it um, in, in the King James. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of, of Jesus Christ. So in the King James, it says fully. In, in the other, it says completely. So in other words, our focus has to be forever and always upon the realization that I'm going in, into eternity where Jesus is. And we live for that. We used to sing an old song around the church. I don't know if I know all the words of it, but it goes something like this. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. How many of you remember that one? Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. I like this part. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. If you know it, sing it with me. Oh, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Yes, our Lord is coming back to earth again. Satan will be bound a thousand years. We'll have no tempter then. After Jesus shall come back to earth again. Give yourselves a hand. That's good stuff right there. Now, verse 14. What time is it? I can't see that clock back there. What does it say? Say what? Seven till. All right. At two till, raise your hand and say, praise the Lord. And I'll quit. Verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. <laughs> we need to write that on a post-it note and put it on our bathroom mirror and read it every day. I like that. Do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So what he's saying is, is that if you're going to be like me, you're going to have to be holy. And you can be holy because I've given you the resources to be holy. In fact, I've given you myself so that you can be holy. I've put my spirit in you so you can be holy. The word of God is in you, even on your, your lips, so you can be holy. And the divine nature of Jesus Christ now resides within you. And if he was holy, then you can be holy. And what, I like that phrase. He said, don't be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. 
And we misunderstand this word ignorance. We find it offensive. But it's not offensive. Now, if it said, you're stupid, that's, that's different. But that's not what it says. It doesn't, it doesn't say go back to being stupid like you used to be. It just says that there was a time in your life that you were ignorant of the things that you now are not ignorant of. And so since you are no longer ignorant of those things, then you should not go back to your ignorant ways. Because now if you go back to your ignorant ways, you're not being ignorant because you still have the knowledge you're being stupid if you go back now. Does everybody follow that reasoning? <laughs> that, hey, it's, it, it's in there. So you just have to kind of, you have to kind of follow that. Then he says, if you address, verse 17, if you address as father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. You know, last week we talked about pilgrims. We're just passing through. We're here, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And so he references that again. And he says that we should walk in fear. Now he's not talking about being afraid. That would be contrary to scripture that says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. This word fear here just simply says walk in such a way that you're respecting the reality that you are to be a holy child of God. So that if I go out and I feel like I want to cuss at somebody, then my fear is that I respect. I'm not afraid that I'm going to cuss. I'm going to respect the holiness of God that tells me that my tongue is to be controlled. And you remember we studied this a few weeks ago. If I can control my tongue, I can control anything. That's, that, that's what scripture tells us. So, so he's saying, he's saying you conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. For you know that you were redeemed for your empty way of life inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Look at this. He said, you were redeemed from your empty way of life that you inherited from the fathers. So what he's saying here is, is that while what the fathers taught you was good, you can't live today on yesterday's blessing. You have to have a fresh dose today. And you can't live today on yesterday's revelation of God. Because God is still revealing himself to his people. You say, well, but pastor, did not they close the canon of scripture? Yes, they did. But they did not shut down the voice of the Holy Spirit who is speaking and is alive within us. He won't say anything contrary to the written word of God, but he will confirm it in a fresh way and give us the ability to see some things that we've never been able to see before, which will take us to a higher level. Are you trying to stop me or say praise the Lord? Amen. Both. Amen. All right. Well, it's time for me to quit. I guess I'm going to quit just, just so I can show you that I can't. I've been doing it. For six and a half years, I can quit tonight on time as well. 
What do you say? We'll just have another good time next week and, and do it again and take off. Don't you just love studying the Word of God? I mean, I really do love it. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for these hungry men and women who have come here tonight on a busy week, late in the evening, but they've made up their mind to come and to study your wonderful Word. I pray that you will give them a revelation of you like they've never had before. And then once they have that, that they will live their life on a level like never before. Bless us and keep us in your care. We know you will, for you said you would. And so we believe it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming. I'll see you Sunday. Sunday.